Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect with Beautiful Disaster. These are the stories of our tribe. They are important, powerful, and will undoubtedly change you. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perfectly Imperfect with Beautiful Disaster. I am so grateful that you're a part of this community. Thank you for making your mental health and your personal growth a priority. Today's guest is Trisha leisure and she has walked through fire to get where she is today and we are so honored that she's here to tell us her story of pain of struggle and of healing if you have experienced trauma and pain and are working through your own personal healing then listen or watch all the way through trisha welcome and thank you so much for your bravery and your willingness to be on with me today when you first shared your story uh, with Beautiful Disaster for our blog, you described yourself and said that Beautiful Disaster connected with you on so many different levels. Share with us what that meant. Uh, it means like it gives voice to how I felt growing up, being not like all the other kids and everything like that, having a very hectic household. <laughs> And not being the picture perfect family. <laughs> yeah. So it gave and things we've been through. I've never been the girly girl, I guess. So it's yeah. So you growing up you always felt different. Yes. Okay. So take us back to how you grew up. We grew up in a alcohol field war zone. My dad's a Vietnam vet. He has PTSD that was untreated for a lot of years. And my mom's an alcoholic. Oh. So she likes to drink and then press everybody's buttons and see what reaction she can get. And if she can't get a reaction from you, she moves on to the next person until she does get a reaction. And there's a lot of nights we had to leave in the middle of the night to go to a hotel and just be away because dad couldn't control his temper and we weren't sure what was going to happen. Jeez. It was, yeah. <laughs> and how many, how many of you are in the house? Uh, it was me, my mom, and my little sister. Okay. And I imagine that you became much more than a big sister pretty quickly and pretty young. Yes. Since probably about the age of six or seven, I had to always make sure she was kind of where I could get her easily if something happened. Wow. <laughs> and wow. she's four years wow. younger than me. <laughs> I can't imagine the amount of fear that you dealt with on a daily basis. Yeah, never knew what was gonna happen and it was just, you got used to, to this day I can't honestly say that I've ever really seen my mom without a drink in her hand. <laughs> so she's never hit enough of a bottom for something to change? Nope. Oh man, how do you deal with that now? Do you have an active relationship with her? we have a relationship. It's not a good relationship. She'll still call me drunk and try to pick fights. And, um, she helps me a lot with taking care of my daughter. So it's the only time I've ever seen her not drink is when she's been responsible for my daughter. But it's like, as soon as I'm around, then there's a drink in her hand. So it's like, right. okay, well, I, I know you were good an hour ago. Right. <laughs> when you were in high school, there is a really big secret that was revealed and you shared exactly how that happened and I want you to share with our our viewers and our listeners that day 
because it was something that came to you fully by surprise and it kind of ties into what you just shared about your mom. So take us <laughs> back to that time in high school when your deepest, darkest secret was revealed. Yeah. Growing up, I was molested by my grandfather and it came out to a school counselor when I was a freshman in high school. And because it was a sexual thing, they had to call my mom. I didn't realize they called my mom because counseling is supposed to be a safe place. Yeah. Um, them calling my mom, I got home and she had a wine cooler sitting on the picnic table outside. So I knew something was up because her theory with anything is we're going to talk, we're going to drink. So, so she had she, one ready for you too. Yeah, it was already open for me, everything like that. That was one thing I never cared too much about alcohol because it was we always had access to it. It wasn't like it was a forbidden thing. So it was never never a thing that was like, okay, it's just if you she had alcohol ready for you when you got home, you knew something was up. Right. So she sat down with me and told me how her dad had molested her and all three of her older sisters. And yeah. She asked if I knew if he had molested my sister at all. I told her that as far as I knew, he hadn't. But it was always, it wasn't a fun conversation to have with her because we had recently at that time found out my grandfather had lung cancer and she was very quick to defend him and say like that I was lying and making it up. Even though it had happened to her? Yes. Wow. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> you know, it does and it doesn't because hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And she's obviously, um, you know, it's probably the most obvious to you, somebody who grew up in the house with her, but she drinks hers away, mm -hmm. you know, and and kind of invited you in to do the same thing. But as you shared, you know, alcohol wasn't really that big of a deal because you saw it on a daily basis. So what happened after that? What happened once? she now knew and now your secret was out what happened after that for the first couple weeks she was actually more supportive than i've ever seen her be i mean my mom's the type of person i got my first period and she turned around and told me i was lying to her i'm like i kind of have the proof that that's not a thing so right <laughs> so it's just that was the most supportive she has ever been and then i think it was when my grandfather started chemo it started coming out where I was lying and I was just making it up and I was trying to get people to feel sorry for me and I wanted the attention. And shortly after that, she started saying that I was just a slut or I was a whore oh. and I was wanting that attention that I had brought it upon myself. You shared when you wrote your story that you had this small glimmer of hope when your mom was really supportive for those couple of weeks that you mm -hmm. were actually connecting with her on an emotional level and yes. then it went away and she yeah. went back to her old ways. I, I I can't imagine what that felt like for you. So so here you are, you're in high school, like your deepest, darkest secret was just revealed. How how long is it before you you leave? Because I can't imagine you staying any longer than completely necessary. I moved out of my parents' house when I was 20. I okay. tried to move out when I was 18. It just didn't work. 
And my grandmother did try after my grandfather passed away. Uh, my grandmother was my hugest support and she did try to get where I could go stay with her. Okay. But my mom wouldn't let that happen. <laughs> so did your grandmother believe you? Yes. Wow. My grandmother believed me. Um, she wished she had known sooner because yeah. she would have, she said she would have dealt with it her way. Not entirely sure what her <laughs> way would have been. <laughs> Grandpa might not have been around as long. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm so glad you at least had some sort of a confidant because it's not something that you're going to just open up to people about and talk to. I mean, look what happened the first time you thought you were safe. Yeah. So it's without my grandmother, I don't know. She passed away in 2016, but I'm, I have no idea what I would have done without her right. through my teenage years because I was at her house all the time. Wow. Um, <laughs> you also shared with us that um, were you in high school or was were you out of high school on the Valentine's Day that you've referenced with us? I was a sophomore in high school. Okay. I was 15. Okay. So <laughs> this is shortly after your secret of, of sexual abuse was revealed to the family. So share with us uh, what happened to you on Valentine's Day during your sophomore year. I was with my first serious boyfriend. He was three years older than me. And we had started dating in October the previous year. And my first Valentine's with a boyfriend and everything. And so I was allowed to go over and hang out at his house and his dad wasn't home and he was a senior at my school. And it just, one thing led to another and he started taking off my clothes and I was told him no, that I didn't want to do anything. And no, wasn't the appropriate answer. He had a lot of mental issues that didn't come out until way later. But that was the start of two and a half years worth of being raped and beat and hiding bruises and, yeah, being somebody completely different. Like, I've always had longer hair. I had cut my hair off to my chin because it got gotten to the point where it, if it was shorter, he wouldn't pull it. And mm. It's like a coping mechanism. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. So, yeah, you, you shared that that day led you down an unbelievably hellish path for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. um, when did you finally find it within yourself or what was your breaking point? What happened to where you said that's enough? Um, it was New Year's Eve. I was 17. I had found out I was pregnant and he beat me until I miscarried because oh he didn't God. want to kill and shortly after that, he left for boot camp for the Marines. And one of my best friends in the world, who I ended up dating for a few months later on, started pulling me to go to church with him and um, dealt with the first panic attacks I had and the first symptoms of PTSD, even though I was undiagnosed at the time. Um, yeah, he was, he still is one of my best friends. Like, he'll call and check in and everything. I have breathe uh, tattooed on my wrist in his handwriting because wow. he pulled me out of that situation. He convinced me that I needed to end things that wasn't going to get better and he didn't want to see me dead. And Right, right. It's so my ex being in boot camp for 
I think it was like weeks before he graduated when I was finally able to write the letter saying, don't, don't contact me. Right. <laughs> Thank God he enlisted and went to boot camp and gave you the much needed space that you needed to make a plan and, or I should say, for your friend to come in and <laughs> take you by the hand and say, this is what's happening because yeah. there's so many women who don't get that break. They don't get that opportunity. So let's talk about that. During that two and a half years of, of hell, um, you know, with people, with abusers like this, there's always times where they make you feel good. They make you feel loved. They make you also feel like you aren't going to get anybody else and right. you're not good enough for anybody else. And all of a sudden you are convinced and trapped without even knowing it. So talk about that a little bit. Like now that you get to look back at that period in your life, talk about that from the rear, rear view perspective now. I don't understand how a lot of people didn't see it was happening when I look back at it because I've never been much for makeup and I was constantly going through foundation and everything like that. And yeah, how I'd wear my hair, wearing like long sleeve shirts in summertime. Around that time I had started cutting myself and mm -hmm. I was hiding those cuts and it's looking at it, it's, I don't see how it wasn't noticeable, how people who knew me and were close to me, how they didn't see that something was wrong. And was there, was there anyone you, what was the friend's name that grabbed you and took you to church? Joey. Okay, Joey. So it sounds <laughs> like Joey was one of, if not the only person that saw what you were going through and, and spoke up. What would you yeah. say, what would you say to somebody who is witnessing somebody that they know and love going through what you're going through, like, what do you wish somebody would have said to you? Like, kind of share from that perspective. I really wish there, there have been more opportunities for people to have said that they were there, that they were listening, that they saw that something was wrong. Because that's, I was isolated from a lot of my friends. I couldn't even, because he had a car, my mom would let him drive me places. But if I wasn't I went and stayed the night at a friend's house. If I didn't answer the phone and within a certain amount of time, I was in trouble. And With him. It's just, yeah. And it was um, my other best friend. She knew stuff was going on because she saw a lot of it. But she's also another 15, 16 year old girl. She's like, there was nothing she could do about it. Right. And it wasn't until I was 17 that and him being away that people really saw that there was something wrong. Right. Right. Yeah, I just, it's so important that we speak up. And if we're witnessing, or not even witnessing, if we suspect that something is happening, I mean, we just can't keep our mouths closed. And, you know, you may have even said, oh, no, there's nothing happening. It's okay. And we need to persist. <laughs> yeah. And we need to persist. You know, I, I'm pretty sure if somebody would have said it enough, 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 you would have finally cracked and said, okay, this is what's going on. So I just wanted to stop and pause on that topic for a minute because there's so many people in hiding and not enough people making sure they're okay. Yeah. And it's 
we grew up in a household where we were told what happened behind closed doors stay behind closed doors. That's not an environment you grow up in thinking you have the ability to talk to people. So when you're trying to reach out, even when I think it was when I first got raped, I think I did try to talk to my mom and she shut me down and told me I was lying. Yeah. So it was after that I shut down and yeah, it was just whatever I could do to just kind of not be beaten bad enough. That was right. <laughs> really bad. Right. I understand. Um, so he goes off to boot camp and you find an incredible job. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your job, which you shared with us. They've been voted like top 100 best places to work for year after year after year. So I'm, <laughs> I, I'm so curious. Tell us where you don't have to tell us exactly where you work, but tell us <laughs> tell us about the company and how it had an impact on your life right at that time. I work over at W.L. Gore and Associates, which some people know it. Some people don't. They create Gore-Tex that a lot of like military people use. I work in the medical department, so I help build medical devices, and I've been doing that for almost 12 years now. Wonderful. <laughs> but I started shortly after I turned 20, and it's an amazing company to kind of grow in because I feel like I grew up there starting when I was 20 years old. I've seen so many changes, and I've been on the same product line forever now because right. I was on a product called Viabon. So oh, <laughs> it's a cool product, and that's it's wonderful. Fun to <laughs> yeah, I mean, it sounds like you found a home there when you didn't have a home. Yeah, you it's know. been it's been interesting because it's that's I've had other jobs, but yeah, being here for almost twelve years, um, they're an amazing company. Like I recently, because it's repetitive motions and stuff, it's an assembly line. Right, I hurt on the line and everything, so I've been on a workman's comp thing for a few months now while they're trying to figure out how to fix it. Right. So, but you want to it, go, it's a place where you want to go back to work. Oh yeah. Yes. I miss, I miss my friends there and it's kind of cool because we don't work with like a lot of customers and stuff like that, but we hear about the stories. We hear about the customers and everything because I build something that goes in and improves somebody else's life or saves somebody's life depending what the circumstances. And it's kind of cool when we do have the opportunity that they bring the people in to tell those stories. Right. Because it's kind of cool when you're pulled up to the front because your name is on the lot that one of these devices came from that helps somebody else. That's wonderful. You just see a device every day. We don't see the people all the time. So it's kind of. Yeah, it's nice to get the, gratif the gratification of the work that you're doing is actually having a positive impact. So that's great. Yes. So, Trisha, I wish that your story of horrible men stopped where we're at. But it didn't. <laughs> no, no, it's not. It, it didn't. So talk to us about the man who is now your ex-husband. And you came to discover that he's a bona fide sociopath. So mm -hmm. share with our listeners and our audience um, a little bit about that relationship. And then after you share that, I, it's really important for us to talk about how you found yourself in another abusive relationship again. Mm -hmm. So take 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 us back. I think you said it was about seven, seven and a half years in that marriage. Uh, we started dating when I was 22 and he's a year younger than me. Okay. So he was 21. And 
yeah, he pretended to be everything that I was interested in because super smart, um, said I like to write. So he was always saying how he'd read the stories I wrote and everything and how his mom was a writer and just put on an act of this perfect person. And it was so different from my previous ex who was, yeah, abusive and everything. I was like, okay, here's something I can actually kind of be safe in. Right. And moved in together way too quick because he pushed me into that. And around the time, like, things had gotten bad, I had an ex text me and stuff like that. And uh, my ex-husband went through my phone and had read my messages and it became a thing. And the ex I'd known since I was, like, 12, so... He was saying that we needed to meet up and have coffee or something. He wanted to introduce me as new girlfriend, all this stuff. And my totally, husband, totally yeah. friendly, like yes. literally no other yeah. agenda. Yeah, I was still really close to his mom and stuff because she was just awesome. So, yeah, he wanted to meet up, hang out. He wanted to still be friends or anything. And my ex-husband flipped out, said I was cheating on him, and things went downhill from there like really quick where it turned into silent treatment all the time. He would tell me he'd get mad and he'd tell me he hated me. He'd call me a whore. He got put on suicide watch and got diagnosed with bipolar and OCD and depression. And his triggers always had to do with anything that was around me, anything. I couldn't talk to other guys. I'd have friends text me and I'd hear my phone go off. It just like, please, please don't be a boy. Right. <laughs> Anybody else. Right. Uh, my One of my best friends, Joey, I wasn't allowed to talk to him at all for years because my ex-husband could not stand him. Yeah, and Joey, was, Joey was a threat because he actually cared about you and could see... <laughs> Abuse. Yeah. And then it was, we, I found out I was pregnant and my, one of my other really good friends, Jesse had told me, she's like, don't tell him, just don't tell him, wait till your doctor's appointment and then tell him. And it was just at that point, I wasn't supposed to even be able to be pregnant because of being raped earlier on. They told me I'd never have my own kids. So to find out I was pregnant, I was like, okay, well this is surprising. Right. So I told him the next day and it, he didn't take that well. I think I had to take like 12 pregnancy tests before my doctor's appointment even came up before he would believe me. Right. And yeah, he was horrible. Like the whole pregnancy was just horrible. I still had changed cat litter boxes. I think I was nine months pregnant, still lifting 50 pound bags of dog food because nobody could go with me. Right. Was, he offered me thousands of dollars to get an abor abortion. He tried everything in his power to stress me out to miscarriage. And he told me that if I hadn't told him I was pregnant the day I did, he was planning to have broken up with me. Mm. And the thought process was always like, if I would have listened to Jesse, right? I'd, I'd deal with him. <laughs> I have a feeling he might have found out. <laughs> uh, yeah, he probably would have found out, but he would have assumed it wasn't his because his opinion on me was right. not the best. Right. And at that point, we'd been together a little over a year. So by the time my daughter Kylie was born... Um, 2011, close to the end of 2011, and yeah, there's good days, bad days. When she was first born, he started acting like a little bit better person. He wanted to go back to school. He wanted to actually improve his life. And I was like, okay, a little glimmer of hope. Yeah, he was going to stay on his medications. He was going to stop drinking. 
everything like that. And I think he didn't change a diaper with Kylie until she was about three months old. My parents, I had to depend heavily on them when I went back to work to help me take care of her because she's six weeks old and I'm going to work at six in the morning. Right. Because you have to. And he went take care of her. Right. So it was that. And it's like any of our living situations, I've had to be the one to find us new places to live. I had to be the one to take care of pets. And I think Kylie was about four months old. And I don't even remember what the argument was, but he shoved me into a wall and flipped over our coffee table. Mm. And once he was physical there, it just went downhill. It's then he had no problem raising his hand to me. He had no problem with if I was asleep, just take having his way. And oh, it turned into another situation where I was getting raped, but I felt like anytime I tried to get out of it, he told me he would take Kylie. Right. And you were scared. And, yes. I was terrified because he comes from a family of money and I do not. Right. <laughs> so it's, right. I didn't really have a lot of options and I had to keep her safe. Yeah. And it turned into anytime I should have called the cops, I didn't because it was never, um, oh, what's going to happen if I call the cops? It was always, what's going to happen from the time I make that call until they get here? Right. And going to be okay during that time. And your daughter. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole new set of fears when you have that baby girl. Oh, yeah. We were together for about five years when we finally got married. And then that relation, the marriage only lasted two and a half years. Right. Getting divorced. And even the month before it got, we separated, he had slammed his head into his desk until he had probably a concussion. And he had ripped the phone out of my hands when I tried to call 911. And that was the first time I had actually like was dialing and everything like that. And I wasn't even calling the cops at that point. I was trying to get an ambulance there because he had just slammed his head into the desk. Right. And yeah. Oh my gosh. It's gotten to another fight. And the last huge fight we had, he had told me he hated me again, called me a whore again. And it was screamed at me what my, he screamed at me that I was a cancer. And my Zodiac sign is cancer. And I was very proud of myself for not screaming back that I knew what my Zodiac sign was because right. that wasn't going to help anything. No, that probably <laughs> wouldn't have helped in that moment. <laughs> so, yeah, he, it finally got to that point where that night I, I shut down. I was done. Um, I ended up staying quite a few nights over at my friend Joey's house and started talking to him again and started actually hanging out with my friends again, having them over. Right. I lost like 15 pounds in a week because I stopped eating it was just, if Kylie wasn't at the house, if she was at my parents' house, I wasn't there. Right. <laughs> but you finally put the nail in that coffin and it's yes. over. Yes. Good. Good. Now, if you go away. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, you made a very powerful statement um, privately when you wrote your blog um, originally. And you said, I'm beautifully broken, perfectly imperfect. And I'm a beautiful disaster finding my way back to being the strong woman that I am. Mm-hmm. So share with us how you're finding your way back and how things are starting to turn around for you and for your daughter, who is absolutely gorgeous because we see you posting <laughs> matching Phoenix pictures with her on your Instagram. <laughs> her favorite jacket. <laughs> yeah. So um, kind of share with us, you know, the upside now that you got yourself out of that relationship. Well, it took one more bad relationship to get there. It took my ex-fiance and him being, um, 
he got arrested for drug use and alcohol and everything like that. And the day he was arrested, he had actually held a gun to my head. And at that point, I I had known him for so long. I had stayed with him and stayed with him through the jail time and prison time and everything like that to find out he had lied to me about getting a credit card in my name. Like in January, I found this out and ended things kind of there. But his probation was still set for my house. So it's like, okay, you can come stay at the house, everything like that. We've known each other long enough. That ended with yet again another rape where I got raped in my shower in March. <laughs> and at that point, one of my best friends, James, he's like a brother to me. Uh, he bought a house in another area in our town and everything. So he had it's a three-bedroom house. And he's like, you and Kylie are moving in with me. Mm. You're going to be an address that he can't find. Right everything like that. And at that point, it started kind of seeing uh, my boyfriend and everything. And we'd been like on a couple dates when, um, uh, when I ended up getting raped and had to make that phone call and been like, so this thing happened. Right. And he's, I was impressed. I was expecting a way different reaction from him, but his reaction was, okay, first thing you need to understand, this is not your fault. Right. And it was just like, okay, I don't know what to do with that, but I'm just going to say, okay. And everything. And right. he's dealt with the PTSD, the panic attacks. Um, my daughter absolutely adores him, but he says that's kind of crazy. The stuff I've been through. And he's like, I don't know how you keep going. He's like, you're just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how, and, and that's such an important question. You know, how do you keep going? Um, I relate a lot to the Phoenix quote, the fire inside me burns brighter than the fire around me. Cause it just feels like you have to, it's, I have Kylie watching me. I can't let her see me just fail. Cause she doesn't know what's going on and everything. And right. I have my group of friends, we call each other the pack because it's just wolves are kind of interesting creatures. Cause the alphas don't leave any of the pack behind. Right. So even when they move, we'll stay and take care of the weakest one. So we have that, or we have quotes, like we circle the wagons around who needs it at the time. Right. So it's just, yeah, you deal with it. And I am in counseling finally. I had to get court approval because of custody battle with my daughter and right. got officially diagnosed with PTSD. So I know what my brain is doing now. So now it's just learning how to deal with it and control it and keep going on the bad days. Yeah, you, you mentioned um, in, in the story that you typed that your mind would betray you, mm -hmm. you know, you, you felt betrayed by your own mind. And is that part of the PTSD? Oh yeah. It's, um, my counselor says I'm one of the worst cases of PTSD he's ever seen. He's talked to like prisoners of war who have dealt with it better than I have going on and everything. And it's just years worth of physical abuse. And the really hard one, it's physical abuse, the bruises heal. So once they're healed, you know, you're okay. Right. Um, verbal abuse, it's those words being said out loud, everything it's that circles in my head. So right. it'll be something where I'll say something and if I don't get, um, responded to soon enough, I'm like, okay, I'm annoying people because I'm going through this and everything. And it's like getting out of the habit of shutting down right. when stuff like that's happening. Right. So it's it's well, your brain turns against you and it's, um, the right side of your brain controls all your emotions and everything. Your left side of the brain is logical. When I'm going through my attacks, the left side of my brain is completely shut down. 
Mm. So I don't even have access to like being like, this isn't happening now. You're okay. Right. It's you're just running on pure emotion, fight or flight. And right. Well, I'm (laughs) really, really glad to hear that you're finally, um, you know, you have a diagnosis and with a diagnosis comes a treatment plan and Mm -hmm. that you're in counseling and it sounds like you're in a little bit of a better relationship and things are moving (laughs) in the right direction. How's your daughter? Tell us about her. She's amazing. She's a little trooper with everything. She's unfortunately with her dad right now. (laughs) (laughs) And does, does she have an okay relationship with him? Some days. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that's really hard. I bet that's really hard. She doesn't like going over there, but it's the court said so. So she has to, and yeah, she goes over and she deals with it and stuff. But yeah, when the court changed our parenting time, she spent almost a year sleeping in bed with me. Right. So almost eight years old. So it wasn't like that's yeah. A six year old suddenly sleeping in your bed at the time. Right. Yeah. Like that's not normal. (laughs) But she, that's where she felt safe and that's where she felt comfortable. And and I don't see anything wrong with that at all. You know, there's going to be a world full of judgment about things like that. But I'm also a mom and I truly believe that the number one thing that our children need from us is love. And if that means sleeping next to me because you are uncomfortable and this is where you feel safe, honey, you could sleep with me till you're 30. (laughs) Yeah, that might be a little weird to some people, but you know what I mean as a mom? Oh yeah. Well, it's, I love what you just said about um, the wolf pack and (laughs) about finding your people and circling the wagon and finding your tribe. And Mm -hmm. it makes perfect sense why you connected with Beautiful Disaster. So (laughs) talk a little bit about that. Like what, what has being in the Beautiful Disaster tribe and being a part of our community and being active in our uh, private group and just being a Beautiful Disaster fan, like what, what does that mean to you? Um, some of it, like I do the affiliate stuff and that pushes me a little bit out of my comfort zone. So I tend to more, I'm just going to sit here and post pictures and do this. But it's when I started posting the pictures to do that, I started actually getting into where I could post because I take black and white uh, photos. I got um, back into posting those and everything. And a lot of my friends have said, they're like, yeah, we've seen you actually kind of come back into yourself. You're this creative person again. You're out there. You're doing stuff. You're not just at home all the time, buried somewhere in a book. Right, right. <laughs> like so we know coming out of your shell a little bit. Yeah, and it's it's seeing like the stories and everything. It's something where it's I don't feel like I'm dealing with everything by myself. It's I'll see people who have gone through very similar things, and it's like, okay, they're able to do this too. It's not just me. Yeah, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone, that is for sure. And we are, um, you know, I always say we're so much stronger together than we are independently. Um, before we say goodbye for now, I want to give you the opportunity to speak to the women in our tribe, to speak to the women outside of our tribe, you know, whoever's going to listen to this and whoever's going to watch this, you know, I want to give you the opportunity to say to them what you wish somebody might've said to you when you were in your darkest time. So just go ahead and speak from the heart. I would tell them, don't give up. The bad days are going to happen. There's going to be good days and good things will happen. It's 
gotta find your beat and go with it. Keep putting one foot in front of the other, make up your dance moves as you go. Try to put a smile on. Daisy can't put a smile on. Just reach out to people if you need help. It's the whole world of people out there that want to help and are willing to listen. And it's just because if you've been told that you're not allowed to speak that, you're not allowed to talk about it, ignore that and just figure out what you need to do to help you be you. <laughs> oh, that's, that's very, very powerful. Figure out what you need to do so that you can be you. Because what happens is you lose yourself. Mm-hmm. So what what do you think helped you get yourself back? Um, it was funny because it's the court made the decision that Kylie had to go to her dad's. And then um, my friends didn't trust my ex-husband for me to drop her off by myself. So anytime I had to see him, somebody had to come with me. And so my friend James started coming with me. And... The more he'd come with me, he'd always find something for us to do so I wouldn't be at home upset that I had to give Kylie back to her dad. So the more stuff he had to do and everything, and he was always just like, oh, hey, I got this cool place that you can take some pictures at and stuff. And so it's the more encouragement I got to kind of start being myself again, that it was okay to be that person I was, that that person wasn't this horrible person that my ex-husband drilled into my head that I was. Right. The more I got back into that, the more normal I felt again. It wasn't like, oh, okay, well, I like doing this, but I can't tell you I like doing this because you're just going to make fun of it. Right, <laughs> right, right. So it sounds like <laughs> your tribe, you know, your people really helped you. And sometimes it only takes one person. And it sounds like from what you just described, being busy. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> being busy. Because it, it sounds like you are the kind that might tend to recoil. I'll go and I'll hide in a book. I'm a huge right. book. So I'll just, I'll, I have like 73 books on my tree pile on my shelf right now. I'll sit there <laughs> and just burn through books like crazy. Right. <laughs> right. <Like that. laughs> yeah. Well, hey, you know what? Books are a fantastic way to take yourself on a journey. So I am a huge advocate for reading books. I think it's a little bit of a lost art. I don't feel like people read books anymore. Um, but but them, so. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of books, do you have a book that changed your life? Um, oh, what was it called? There's uh, an author, Rachel Hollis. She's written a few books. She has two out right now. It's Girl, Wash Your Face and Girl, Stop Apologizing. Mm. They're both pretty empowering books because I, I don't read a lot of nonfiction. So when I do pick up a nonfiction one, something really caught my attention with it. So right. That's fantastic. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, here's the deal. You just got way out of your comfort zone <laughs> and you just shared your video your story on video on a podcast you know so that you could use your voice for good what is the one thing that you hope telling your story will do for someone else going through everything I have one of the huge things I've always felt is very alone or that I didn't have a voice and I hope anybody else who's going through anything similar or anything like what I did, worse, whatever, just know that you do have a voice, that there is help that's not, it's bad at that moment, but it will get better. And yeah. it's not to give up. <laughs> 
That's so great. Thank you so much, <laughs> Trisha, for again being brave and coming out of your shell and sharing your story. What you have been through is horrific and traumatizing and yeah. you're still here. You're standing on your own two feet. You are a mama. You're doing the best you can with what you've got. You've got a smile on your face and you've got an amazing <laughs> attitude. And that alone will be inspiring to somebody who can't find their smile yet. So thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we look forward to seeing more of your photos on Instagram. <laughs> and we honor you as a member of the Beautiful Disaster Tribe. And just thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for doing what you do because you do give us a voice. Even if it's just wearing the clothes, it gives us a voice. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That That is the single best thing that you could ever say to us because <laughs> we want to connect on a human level and really create this tribe and this sisterhood so that all of us um, can use our voices for good. So thank you so much for being on today and we will talk to you soon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye, Trisha. Bye.